0: Cameron DeBaser And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. Walking right on through these lessons of the first quarter of the year, all about the book of Psalms. And this week, we're on lesson number four, the Lord hears and delivers. Mm-hmm. Now, in a lot of ways, Pastor Howard, this is an extension of last week's. Last week, uh, you put the yes. Talking Points together and it was focused on the sovereignty of God and the character of yes, His the rule. sovereign reign of God. Exactly. Now, it's almost like this lesson takes those principles we talked about and applies them to our personal life. What does that mean to us? What that sovereign
1: means for us.
0: Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. um, I put the talking points together this week, and so why don't you lead us off a prayer and then we'll walk through the lesson.
1: All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word and we thank you for the opportunity to study together. I do ask that you would bless this presentation and all of our Sabbath school teachers and participants and classes who will be studying this lesson, that it would be the means of helping them to better understand your character, your will in their life, and to have a richer walk with you, we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. All right, so for my little notes here, and I'd like you to start looking up the first paragraph of Sabbath afternoon's lesson, if you could do that real quick. But my little overview says, this week we examine what the Psalms reveal about the sovereignty of God and his watch care over us. So it's not just that he is big and knowledgeable, but what does it mean for us? And why don't you read that first paragraph? Yes, it says,
1: again and again, the Psalms highlight the truth that the sovereign Lord who created and sustains the universe also reveals himself as a personal God who initiates and sustains a relationship with his people.
0: Now, that's, if you had studied last week's lesson, which I assume everyone did, mm-hmm. again, it was all about that sovereignty and rule of God and his beneficence and justice and everything, but now we move on to the application of that to our personal lives and what it means for us today. So, our three talking points are as follows. Number one, God knows. <laughs> and I thought God about... Right, what? Yeah, you think, well, God <laughs> knows everything, and he goes everywhere, and he knows all <laughs> time. You could even say God knows everything about all... Th- it's still... It's just easier to say, like, I'm thinking of, like, when God said, uh, he didn't just say when he was, I am. Mm-hmm. I, j- I just am. Mm-hmm. You know, It's just leave it at that. And the same thing with the knowledge of God. And we'll get into this, but Sabbath and Sunday right. focuses on... Right, you can't be on... like, he
1: knows what, because then it limits. It's yeah. like, there isn't a what. It automatically he
0: limits it. knows. Period, right. <laughs> yeah. And that's the whole point, is that God is a God who knows. Talk about number two... God is our refuge and strength. That God who Mm -hmm. knows is the one I can find confidence in. And we'll take that from Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And finally, very much aligned with last week's lesson, Thursday highlighted how, talk point number three, God acts from the heavenly sanctuary. So there is a specific place and way that God helps his people. Context. Exactly. All right. So let's start with number one, God knows. And I would ask you, if you would look up Romans... Chapter Eleven, verses thirty-three through thirty-six. Now, this passage was not in the lesson, but when we talk about the breadth and depth and almost indescribable uh, uh, nature of God's knowledge, Paul p- speaks about this in this passage, Romans eleven.
1: Oh, the depth and the ri- I'm sorry. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His. Um, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counsel or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen.
0: So of him and to him and through him. All things
1: come of thee and of their last week's lesson. Same idea again, but the
0: the breadth and depth and height and and quality of God's knowledge Mm -hmm. is almost indescribable. And so he starts with an exclamation. Oh, my, this is so big. Psalm uh, repeatedly, uh, the scripture not only points out that God knows, like, scientific truth or history or uh even the future in prophecy that God there's a depth of God knowledge to the person that of all that God knows scripture emphasizes his intimate knowledge of the human heart right, That's right. so you see this and i've got some passages listed out and they were highlighted in the pass in the in the uh, lesson i believe as well first chronicles 28 verse 9 psalm 44 verse 20 i'll read that one here if we had forgotten the name of our god and or stretched our hands to a foreign God, who would not Would not God search this out? For he knows the secrets of mm-hmm. the heart, right? Yes. Luke 16, verse 15. God knows, right? I added Jeremiah 17, 9, and 10. We
1: always get the first part, verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But the Lord answers that in verse 10 and says, I, the Lord, search the heart. Mm. I test the mind. So again... <laughs> this is a
0: great but, point. We often say, well, who can know yeah, it? And God's like, "I, I know. I, I know. <laughs> That's right. Now, Psalm right 139 is highlighted in our lesson this week as one of those key passages that reveals not only the fact that God knows broadly, but he knows us intimately, right? Uh, Psalm 139, I'll just read the first few verses here, where uh, David writes, "'O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down.' And you are acquainted with all my ways. And do you think about just in those Mm -hmm. few verses, how many different synonyms for Mm know Are there acquainted, comprehend, understand, searched? Mm -hmm. So the, the idea when David speaks to God, he's not talking about just a God who is large or powerful or knowledgeable of the universe. He's saying that God who's that strong and powerful and insightful turns his gaze to me. And knows me, honestly, better than I know myself.
1: Well, and you look at the elements of what he knows. You've known me, my sitting down and rising up, my thought, my path. Like, in other words, he's just like, there's no area of my life where, well, and then there's this you don't know much about. Mm. He's just any... Any thought that comes to my mind of any aspect of who I am, God knows it.
0: Right. Now look at verse, why don't you read verses 6 and 17 of that same passage there. Yes, it says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is
1: high. I cannot attain it. Verse 17 says, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them.
0: So David doesn't just look at God's intimate knowledge of him as just a fact to be reckoned with, or maybe even intimidating and to be feared he, <laughs> right. he relishes it he loves it he thinks that yes. he calls it wonderful and precious that god would know him that well and there are certain
1: things like you know you have uh, i for lack of a better example you know you have these hollywood stalkers right there's some mm. star and they find out there's this person they send them letters they're stalking them around. <laughs> and it's creepy right you know but at the same time, you want your husband and your wife to have this knowledge and, and, and appreciation. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's where, where there's there's one person that you may say, "Oh, I don't want him to have that kind of knowledge," <laughs> and maybe as you're maybe alluding to, sometimes it might be unsettling if you think, "Well, God has that knowledge," except for the difference being, you know, with the stalker, you don't know what their intentions exactly. are. Exactly. But you know your husband or your wife, and in this case. God's intention, and this David recognizes like all of this intimate knowledge he has is for his good and his mm. benefit.
0: Yeah, I think about the husband and wife thing, like on our phones. My wife and I have the whole find each other kind yes. of thing. So I have no, problem. I can look at my phone <laughs> right. and I can see where she is at any time, and she's not bothered by that. But if anybody else had that access, I would be upset. <laughs> yeah. I would be creeped out. It would be it would be a deal they, breaker, right? They do. Well, don't don't, <laughs> don't even let me start with that kind of thing. Right. But but I'm saying God, David looks at God as not only. All right, God, you know me, so uh, he loves it. He thinks it's wonderful, it's precious. He trusts him because of his character. Right,
1: and I'm saying all that because there are people who view God that way, and we shouldn't view God. This, This should be teaching us that it should be comforting, Yes. That God has this knowledge of us. well he maybe he's trying because God's not trying to destroy us; He's trying to save us.
0: Exactly. So the character man of man did God not come into knows. the world
1: to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Right.
0: There is a great uh, couple of paragraphs there from Sunday's lesson. I put in the notes. Why don't you read those if you would?
1: Okay. It says uh, on Sunday paragraphs three and five. This wonderful truth about God's knowing us intimately should not scare us, but instead drive us into the arms of Jesus and what He has accomplished for us at the cross, as the one who knows all about us god can help and restore us the fresh realization of his greatness prompts an outburst of praise and renewed trust in the psalmist he welcomes divine secure uh, i'm scrutiny. sorry divine scrutiny as the means that can remove from his life anything that troubles his relationship with God. So that's, a, that's an awesome thought.
0: Well, and you see it in the same Psalm 139. In other words, the
1: scrutiny is there, like, I'm seeing this thing, and I'm pointing it out because I'm, it's going to help you, not hinder you.
0: Right, so David ends that Psalm 139, yes. verses 23 and 24. He says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Well I don't we talked about that last week of the judgment, where David doesn't like say, Oh there's a judgment. He was like, right. Bring it on, I want That's to know. Right. And here he says, Lord, you know everything that could be known, even more than I do. So search me and lead me in a better path. He he looks forward to the anxious for the I mean not the anxious, but the, the close scrutiny yes. of God as a means of even coming closer to him and become more like him and being purified and prepared for his kingdom. Absolutely. And so this idea of God knowing us intimately should not, as the lesson brings out, be scary, but it should drive us to him as the one being in the universe who is totally trustworthy, who is radically on our side and has the power to do something about it. Amen. So which brings us to stock point number two. God is our refuge and strength, which of course is in quotations because that's a direct quote from David himself. He speaks yes. of God as our refuge and our strength. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday really goes to this uh, closely. And I put in the notes, beyond God's intimate knowledge of the heart of man, the Psalms repeatedly praise him for his watch care over us, that there's more to God's greatness than merely the the fact that he's in everything, that he... I should be careful, that's a panentheistic statement, but he, his, his mind is there, that his power can mm-hmm. go anywhere. But beyond that, it's what he does with that power. He cares for us, he, he right. defends us, right? For instance, just in Psalm 91, the psalmist refers to God's protection as, quote, a secret place, a shadow, a refuge, a fortress, as wings, shield, buckler. And a dwelling place, right? Mm-hmm. And the lesson brought that up. That's just in this one time. He's like he's almost running out of language to say you are this to me and this to me and this to me, and it's all protective. It's yes. all helpful. Uh, why don't you read that statement from Monday, paragraph two?
1: For the psalmist, the Lord is always before me, Psalm sixteen eight. Therefore, he trusts God and calls upon Him, Psalm seven one and nine ten. The Lord will hear him even when he cries out of the depths. According to Psalm 131 and 2, conveying that no life circumstance escapes God's sovereign dominion. Thus, the psalmist's cry, no matter how urgent, is never devoid of hope.
0: So when you combine those two ideas that God knows everything, He is all-powerful, and He cares for us, what it tells us, as David exemplifies in the Psalms, is that we cannot be not only not afraid of God, He is a present help in trouble. And there's, like the lesson said, there's no circumstance, there's no trouble you can go through, no anxiety on your heart that he cannot understand, that he doesn't already see how it ends, that he can offer help in time of need. And so this knowledge of God and his power and sovereignty is to us one of the most appealing things about God that there can be. Absolutely.
1: I'm going to go outside the lines here a little bit with uh, Jeremiah because Lamentations, actually, because my wife and I have been going through this uh, in in morning worship. We read this this morning. But to that point, Jeremiah, I'm sorry, Lamentations 3 verse 1 says, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He has led me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely he has turned his hand against me time and time again throughout the day. So here he's talking about mm. goes on. He's aged my flesh and my skin. He's broken my bones. He's besieged me. Like this is this is the Lord's discipline coming to him. And yet this is it's out of Lamentations chapter three that he says in verse twenty three. Uh, I'm sorry, verse twenty two. Though. Uh, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail mm. not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, or great is that mm. day. That's where that hymn this, comes from. Yeah. So even, uh, I'm, I'm just coming around to the point you were making that that David always has hope in the Lord. That doesn't mean, and I don't want to give it, anybody get the impression that, well, when you follow the Lord, everything just goes well. And when he scrutinizes your life, he's always going to, hey, they, everything's A-OK. Mm-hmm. No, there are times when he points things out. There are times when you feel raked over the coals. But even in that, mm-hmm. he's doing it in, in his attempts to save you. And so Jeremiah can say, even in the midst of the, that where you know the Lord has uh, led him in darkness and not in light, great is his faithfulness. Mm,
0: that's powerful. The, 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 and, the, and the contours of that relationship, it's not a just a very flat, like, okay, exchange of here's, I'm being faithful to you, but right. no, the, the, there's a there's a back and forth there, and it's a real relationship, that's and that's right. it's really awesome. You know, one of the, uh, I put it in a lesson, the, the quarterly had it in the lesson, and I put it in the notes here, that one of the most oft-repeated and poignant metaphors for God's tender care of his love and protect is that of his love and protection being compared to a mother bird for mm-hmm. her, her children, right? You see this before the Psalms. You see it in Exodus 19. You see it in Deuteronomy 32. And in the Psalms, you see it in Psalm 17, Psalm 57, Psalm 63. And there's probably other occasions where it says it too. But I think of the culmination of it in Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus himself, in verse 37, he had wept over Jerusalem, his, their rejection of him. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. That the willingness of protection and care is always on God's side. He wants it. He desires it. He's planned for it. He sacrificed his son to give us that protection and care. But the question is, what are we going to do with it, right? That's right. But that was
1: Matthew twenty three thirty seven. I heard yeah. the thirty seven. I didn't hear the twenty three. I might have missed it, but I'm just thinking here in case you missed it. <laughs> twenty three thirty exactly. seven. That
0: you're referring to. That's exactly right. And the deliverance of Israel from Egypt also illustrates yes. the inter- intervention. Psalm one fourteen is all about that. Looking back, how the Lord mm-hmm. has already demonstrated His His not only His desire to help, but His power to help and His redemptive power. Yes. The lesson in Wednesday had an interesting paragraph five if you read that for us
1: the lord's great deeds on behalf of his people should inspire the whole earth to tremble at his presence. The trembling should be understood as acknowledging and worshiping rather than as being terrified with God on their side. Believers have nothing to fear
0: mm. so whether it's the history of the deliverance of egypt, uh, a children of Israel from Egypt, the metaphor of the You know the the bird and the and the chicks, or just all the examples of David's, you know, saying, "Lord, you've tried me and tested me, and you know me." These should not be regarded as intimidating, but as inspiring, and the idea that we can be drawn to this God who loves us, He will take care of us, and. For the psalmist, that really is a theme that's woven through all of his praise of God, is that this intimate knowledge and power is radically on our side. Amen. Now. Even in times of discipline, God is our refuge and strength. I love it. Which brings us to our final talking point. We're going to spend our last few minutes of our lesson here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Talking point number three, God acts from the heavenly sanctuary. Thursday's lesson talked about that. And the... Again, this is one of the ways it connects directly to last week's study. That the heavenly sanctuary, unlike, for instance, God isn't actually a mother hen. Right. right? He just uses that metaphor. But when it comes to the sanctuary, though the Psalms are written poetically, mm-hmm. there is clearly a location of a heavenly sanctuary from which God acts that David appeals to. He's not just using it as a, uh, a a word picture, if you will, or not just as using some poetic license and coming up with this thing mm-hmm. of the sanctuary. There's a reason God told Abraham, I mean God told Moses, I'm sorry, to make a sanctuary according to the pattern that I've shown you. There That's is, right. you know, you go to the New Testament, the Book of Hebrews. The point of what we're saying is that we do have a high priest who is in a heavenly sanctuary. And when you read through the Psalms, David appeals to God not just in outer space or in the greatness of the cosmos or in the closeness of my heart, but there's a place from which he acts that he calls the sanctuary. Over and over again, you see that come up. Uh, For instance, Psalm 20, verses 1 and 2. Can you read that for us?
1: May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary Mm. and strengthen you out of Zion.
0: Right, The location of his sovereignty is that sanctuary. You think of Psalm 68, verse 5. He refers to God as a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. Mm-hmm. So not just God generally, but from that place, he acts on our behalf. Uh, of course, Psalm 73, 16 and 17 yes. we referred to it last time. Why don't you read it again?
1: When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Mm. You know, so you you in Psalm seventy three you see judgment from the sanctuary, and we know when we study the sanctuary that the the mo the, the the apartment of the most holy place was especially connected with judgment, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked about that. We talked about that a little bit last week, like you said. What I think is interesting this week is more than so. I I do want to say more than a place of judgment. Like when it says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May God defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary. This is talking more broadly about the intercessory work of Christ, which is not Mm -hmm. limited to the work of judgment that began in 1844. And so I think it's interesting to see that the sanctuary is a place where... Like, when we interact, we think about praying to Jesus, asking forgiveness, asking for guidance, but oftentimes we're not thinking about the fact that while we're doing that, he's literally in the temple in heaven. Like, this is where, and so this is your point here, he acts from that location. Yes. Um, And yes, you have the aspect of judgment from the sanctuary, but that whole work of Christ is there in that context of that sanctuary. Absolutely.
0: Now, what I think is interesting is... David here was writing from a time where there was an actual tabernacle on the earth, yes. right? There was a sanctuary there. And you could say, well, he's just appealing to that. Not necessarily the heavenly sanctuary but he's... You notice he doesn't just talk about, I went into the sanctuary on an earthly scale. He's appealing to the sovereignty of God in the universe and acting yes. from that place, right? And so in the, t- in the New Testament, you see this repeated. I'm thinking of the example of Stephen before the Sanhedrin, right? He's called to answer for his faith. And you can find this in Acts chapter 7. Starting in verse 44, he walked through the history of the earthly tabernacle, right? He says, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he appointed instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern he had seen. And he said, in our fathers who did this, and then Solomon built him a temple. But then in verse 48, he says, however, the most high does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? What is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? And the people in the early church who were hardening their hearts against Christ were focusing on the sanctuary, but on its structure, on the building, on the temple itself here on earth, Mm -hmm. when the heavenly reality was the main point, right? right? So Stephen's trying to say, look, you guys are focused on this, but the substance of it is Christ himself and his ministry in heaven. And that is, by the way, when they turned on him, they picked up stones to, th- to throw at him. And I want to close here with uh, Stephen's testimony. But he says in verse 55, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. So he's clearly connecting. It's like you guys have been focused on this earthly tabernacle, but the substance has now moved to the heavenly, the reality. And he's right, right there. Just look. And I think of, uh, you know, the, the the book of Hebrews how repeatedly you know, we're told that the main point is that we have a high priest choose in the heavenly sanctuary, the the same sanctuary David was talking about in the Old Testament is right. the same one the New Testament authors are talking about. That God acts from this place.
1: Well, the text that comes to my mind is Solomon's dedication of the temple, First Kings eight twenty six and twenty seven, and now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. Mm. How much less this temple which I have built? So they weren't of the mm. mindset that, well, he's in this building. And that's now we've got they,
0: a building, so now they we've knew. got. Yes.
1: So it's not like, hey, yeah, New Testament and heavenly sanctuary. That's a that's a new concept. No, Moses making according to the pattern. Solomon saying, hey, we know it's not this house you're dwelling yeah. in. When
0: you start digging into this idea, because <laughs> it's amazing to me that Seventh Day Adventism is the only denominational people who have this understanding of the heavenly sanctuary. when you start looking at it, like how do, we, how, do, how do we possibly, it's kind of like the Sabbath day. It starts right there in creation. How do we miss it, right?
1: And uh, for I David, teaching, it's a
0: central theme of his life. I was teaching
1: a class on the subject of the sanctuary and we we're talking about the high priestly work of Jesus. And I had a retired minister in that class from another denomination. Mm. He was just blown away. He's like, man, this stuff is incredible. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, well, it's not like I wrote the book of Hebrews, the Seventh-day right. Adventist inserted it in our copy of the Bible, like it's in there, because yes. we are going over here. I said, what did you do with these texts in your church? He said, we didn't do anything with them. So in other words, it's just like, to your point, like we just never studied. You just and kind, of just kind of background noise, we yes. moved on, Yeah
0: and and you could even say well why are you even harping on it now because okay so what there is a but the 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 application of that truth in our lives is the important thing i think if hebrews chapter 4 What's the main point? It says, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, Mm -hmm. let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of this fact, Mm -hmm. come boldly to the throne of grace that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mm -hmm. That the same throne room of heaven that David appealed to in his time of trouble is our refuge and strength today and that's incredible thought that God has a throne room he's all knowing, he's all powerful he's all justice and mercy in one character and he appeals to us, come before me that I can help you anyway, uh, there's a great statement from Thursday paragraph one, if you could read that
1: Yes, it says the motif of spiritual and physical refuge and help notably appears in the context of the sanctuary. The sanctuary is a place of help, of safety, and of salvation. The sanctuary provides a shelter to the troubled. God defends the orphans and widows and gives strength to his people from his sanctuary.
0: And though it was not in the lesson quarterly this week, I had to put in Great Controversy. Page Mm -hmm. 488 simply says the sanctuary in heaven... Is the very center of Christ's work in behalf of men. It concerns every soul living upon the earth. Mm. And I gotta tell you, I've often, as a Seventh day Adventist, thought what she meant to say, the sanctuary in heaven is now the very center of Christ. Like he it used mm-hmm. to be the earth, and now it's but I'm looking back before Christ ever came to the earth. David is still mm-hmm. appealing to the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. There's a reason God had Moses build the sanctuary pattern, mm-hmm. right? It's because it reflects. God's Christ stepped out of that sanctuary to step down here on earth to be the sacrificial lamb. And he goes right back to that. So let me put it this way. Sometimes we think of, or maybe I should just say, I have thought of the sanctuary as an addendum to Christ's work on the earth. Mm-hmm. When the reality is Christ's work on the earth is an extension of his heavenly sanctuary ministry, right? He had the plan had come from he'd offered help from then he steps down and manifests and he steps right back and goes right back to where it was that the sanctuary and the cross are not two separate things that happen to work together just like god's justice and mercy they are one single movement of god it is his plan encapsulated from the very beginning and we can appeal to that same christ in that same sanctuary that david did so long ago anyway i just love this theme Mm. In Friday, Paragraph 1, there is a statement that they quoted from Patriarchs and Prophets 493. Why don't you read that for us as we close today?
1: It says, God will do great things for those who trust in Him. The reason why His professed people have no greater strength is that they trust so much to their own wisdom and do not give the Lord an opportunity to reveal His power in their behalf. He will help His believing children in every emergency if they will place their entire confidence in Him and faithfully obey Him.
0: Mm. So again, from this lesson, I take away that God knows everything. He knows us intimately. We can go to him for strength. And the location of that is always going to be his throne in the heavenly sanctuary. Amen. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for being a God who is all-knowing, who knows us intimately, and you appeal to us to come before your throne in the heavenly sanctuary. Lord, help us to see you for who you are as you see us for who we are. Help us to have that deep abiding confidence in that, that intimate relationship with you that will be to us salvation and our joy throughout eternity. So bless us today to that end, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.